Hello, my name is Mark Taylor. Welcome back to the National Association for Primary Education podcast. In the last few months due to COVID, of course, edtech and software and hardware and everything related to computing has had a really big impact on our lives, both as teachers and, of course, as pupils and students around our schools as well. It's never been such an important facet of what has happened, but also, I think, how things are set up for the future. Now, today I'm going to chat to Al Kingsley, and he has been involved in EdTech for many years now and also has experience in terms of being a school governor and involved in trusts and many other aspects of education. So we're going to have an interesting and really rounded conversation, really, about all these implications, which I hope will give you some ideas and guidance and, and, and support, really, about how EdTech and the world that we're currently living in is obviously changing, but also how it can be a positive thing for the future. To find out more about Al, please do go and check out the show notes, either on our website, which you can find at nape.org.uk, that's nape.org.uk, or on the show notes of any platform that you're using to listen to this, it should be right there for you. One final thing to mention before we get started... NAEP has a professional journal called Primary First, which is giving away a free e-copy at the moment. So to go and find out everything about that, go to nape.org.uk forward slash journal. That's nape.org.uk forward slash journal. So I hope you enjoy this. This is my conversation with Al Kingsley. Al, thanks very much for joining me today. Hi, Mark. Pleasure to be here. So let's talk, first of all, about... Is there anything that surprised you during this sort of last six months or so um, from an EdTech point of view that you probably wouldn't have necessarily predicted, even though we knew the pandemic was there, but just, you know, something which maybe surprised you out of the box? I think the thing that I think we can all resonate with across education is is that many of the, the teachers and practitioners that were um, very, very reticent about the use of technology, have actually adapted and become much more confident and able with it far quicker than we would have expected. Um, and I think that's one that is important to flag both in terms of recognition of how quickly uh, schools have had to adapt in the in the light of the pandemic. Uh, and, and the concept of talking six, seven months ago about lots of online, whether it be teaching or online learning, suddenly happening in, in schools um, albeit not always consistently, but piecemeal in some cases and, and very consistently in some schools, I think many of us would have looked and said, no chance that was going to happen that quickly. But it, it reflects, you know, and I think it highlights the adaptability of, of the sector. Um, and I think that's been a really positive one. I think the other one that's really um, highlighted is the fact that um, there are also sometimes too many choices. And I think that's one that's really been amplified. It's it's often easy to look in a sector and think actually choice is, is you know, is always a positive and it's fantastic. But when COVID came around and in true um, style, there was very limited warning before some of the changes were implemented. I think there was a, there was a little bit of a race to the hills to see which solutions could be found online that might best meet need. Um, and I'm always very much an advocate, particularly when we're looking at embedding whether it's your broader digital strategy or a particular strand like delivering um, some form of online interaction with students that definitely less is more. I agree. And I just want to pick up on one thing you said there. That what's your perception of the difference between online teaching and online learning? It's an interesting one because there's a few different interpretations of it. And, you know, and ultimately, who am I to say which is the right interpretation? From my personal perspective, I, I define online teaching as the delivery of synchronous instruction. So that's the, the teacher and student face-to-face. 
um, through whatever platform schools are using, whether it's Teams or Hangouts or um, Zoom or whatever. Um, and there's that direct inter interaction between the teacher and students. And there's a, there's a, there's a structure, there's a, a purpose and a content and delivery. And, and online learning is more about um, sharing without the interaction in real time of the teacher. So that might be sharing videos with students to Zoom, or it might be about um, delivering um, work for students to go away and, and self-study on and, and bring back. So, so really for me, the online teaching is the real time face-to-face -face element that's the key. And in your experience, what do you think, I guess there isn't a, a best or, or, or best practice, but I mean, certainly from my perspective with my parents' hat on, there seemed to be a combination of both, which actually opened up a door to a slightly new world of education in terms of the face-to-face -face purely online is quite a difficult thing over a number of hours, especially day on day on day. And the, the learning online through materials worked in lots of respects but at the same time there were some questions that needed answering and actually having that interaction is an incredibly important one so for me I guess it's a kind of a balancing that between the two would you agree I would and of course that's where that extra word appears blended uh, and I think there's there's so many variables the number of people have said to me so you know what, what what's what's your position on that which, which is better uh, the the online synchronous learning or the asynchronous learning or, or the blended and of course the simple answer is you know, there are so many variables. Let's start with the cohort, the age group. So the age group defines the way that you can effectively deliver teaching and learning. Uh, the cohort, if we're talking about some of our SEND children, they're going to need more shepherding. They're going to need the reassurance of more face-to-face. -face. But at the same time, they're not going to sit for an hour in, in a setting where without the support of a TA or their peers modeling behavior, sat at home on their own, that they're going to suddenly be able to find that a productive or, or, or reasonable expectation of them. So th there has to be a blend between those things. And, it, and in reality, whilst, you know, on one level, best practices, you know, that, that the technology we're talking about is simply delivering that, that what it is, the delivery mechanism. And on top of that sits a regular lesson. In reality, it's never regular. There are absolutely the core foundations of the same. But a blended model is is probably what is most realistic. And then I think we work backwards and say, you know, to that conversation from March time onwards, when schools are looking and saying, well, how do we actually start moving some of our delivery online? You've then got the conversations about, well, what about your teaching staff? Where do they sit on that confidence curve of utilizing different technology? What about the pressures on them to effectively produce all the content needed to deliver that online? Was is that is it reasonable? Was it reasonable? And will it be ever be reasonable to, to fully adopt that? And I think the combination of these things means that actually, um, you know, parental perception was, I want my child to have a teacher in front of them on the screen from nine o'clock in the morning till 3.30 in the afternoon, because that's kind of what they were getting at school. But in reality, at school, lots of their time in the classroom was, was here working, work, you know, working on different projects, teacher coming around and providing feedback and comments, but also depending on, again, on the age group, developing those those skills to work um, themselves individually and, and develop their research skills or their ability to kind of go away and test and quiz themselves with retrieval practice, whether that's, you know, in the traditional paper sense or whether it's using apps on tablets in the classroom and so on. So I think the parental perception probably didn't help because it sets that kind of that upper bar 
And you only have to have one parent saying, well, at my school, they're doing this to suddenly that seems or should be the norm for every school, which, of course, is, is simply not the case because every school's got those different challenges of cohort and so on. Um, and, you know, without wrapping the, the, the variables too wide, we've also got to consider the fact of um, will our young people at home be able to partake in a fully online, synchronous digital day uh, for many schools, certainly for, for some of the schools within my maps, um, you know, some of the cohorts are in areas where there is quite a high degree of um, disadvantaged families and, and young people where um, the, the idea of one device per child available for the full seven hours absolutely wasn't going to happen. And so if you think about that and you think, well, what's actually best for the young person, the blended model starts to make a bit more sense. There's, there's clearly some content where I want to set expectations and I, and I want to deliver that exemplar or I want to highlight what my expectations are of the class, where being able to deliver something in real time to the, to the children absolutely ticks a big box. But then I also want to consider recording things that I can put online so that for those children where they've got siblings and they're sharing a device, they can access that recording and watch it back an hour or two's time or this evening when parents are home or when parents have finished home working and the devices become available. Uh, and I also want to deliver content that the children can go away and work on and then feed that back to me. So actually, some of the considerations were actually sort of bringing this jigsaw puzzle of different pieces together and saying, well, what do I need to achieve? And part of it was, well, I need a tool that allows me to interact and communicate with, with my class. But I also need to better create the different types of resources that's appropriate. And I also need to develop some kind of solution for the way that I can capture their work, uh, provide some kind of assessment and feedback and, and close that loop. And by the way, all the way along through that, at my heart, I've got to be thinking about keeping them safe when they're using online tools. And I've got to think about their well-being. And some of my learners need much more face-to-face -face reassurance from a teacher and some kind of structure that they're used to than, than for others. And so, you know, it doesn't help the argument or the discussion, I guess, but we come full circle to one size just doesn't fit all. No, and I, th and I think that's, in some ways, this situation has highlighted that more, hasn't it? Because there was sort of nowhere for every, no, sorry, there's nowhere for certain children to hide where maybe you can a little bit within the classroom because the child is either there face-to-face -face and engaging or not, or not able to become in a situation where they are face-to-face -face or they're not able to submit work or see work or, or do it remotely at all. And so, therefore, there is that immediacy. And I, I guess with your experience of actually sort of an overarching idea of how trusts work at different schools within that, you would have had sort of different results depending on on exactly where each individual school was and, like, say, their different cohorts. Um, I think you've got cohorts, age groups, different schools. There's, there's, there are those different variables. But I think if we, if we wind the clock back to March, April, and frankly, if we have the conversation today, what do we mean by results? Because for many schools, and I think nationally, there's still a question mark about how are we measuring or evidencing what the impact was? How successfully has, has the process gone? And, and of course, it's very easy to look at it and say, well, we're going to test the children again and see whether the progress levels are. But that's not really the full picture because we've seen all the children have had an impact in one shape or form. But it's been actually the measures of much more things. It's been about have our children continue developing, perhaps not necessarily on the initial curriculum-based skills, but in other ways, 
certainly at primary, creating tasks that have fostered greater um, project working with their parents, getting involved in activities in home, being other skills and learning that ultimately are all part of that core foundation that have been really positive. We've also got that recognition that different learners learn in different ways. And so expecting the measure to be on one single thing, I think, is, is unrealistic. Uh, and I'd say the biggest measure of all has been more about how technology has also been used to support that student well-being, how it's been used to foster peer-to-peer -peer student groups, keeping that communication and dialogue together between classmates and learners together, how schools have adapted it to take those year six children who were very nervous about their September move to secondary school and use technology to reassure and highlight and bridge the gap as part of their transitions. Um, so whether that's virtual tours and introductions to teachers and getting a sense of where they're going. Um, I, th I think there's so many different aspects of it. I mean, fundamentally, of course, we want to make sure that teaching and learning progresses. But I think that the, the, the challenge of fitting them all into the one hopper is you know, and, and I appreciate in this context, we're, we're, we've got more of a primary focus, you know, a secondary, that the natural persuasion is we can test the sets and we can see what skills have been developed and what's been embedded and so on. But primary, certainly, if you think to EYFS and Key Stage 1, a large part of that measure, certainly for those first couple of years, isn't done by any form of testing and assessing, but it's very observationally based. It's the teachers and the TAs in the classroom capturing observations of children acquiring new skills or showing those skills to be embedded and then recording that against you know, the EYFS framework so we can see against all of the key different groupings where a child is, is emerging or secure in particular skills or, or where their developmental position is based on, on age bands. And I think that was a bit of a miss to start with because for many schools it's the challenge certainly in primary wasn't simply about how do I teach or how do I share resources and activities with my young learners, probably the latter more so, sharing those activities. It was also questioning, well, how do I actually capture whether those activities are are being engaged with? The young our children are actually doing them and they're succeeding in their tasks. And how am I able to create feedback? So it was then also a question of thinking, this isn't just about the delivery of my face and voice on the screen but also how my tools stretch and, and flex so that I can actually hand out that kind of work and projects and activities to my young learners, which then immediately creates the next catalyst, which is I need to foster better parental engagement via technology. Um, and actually for some schools, they found that they're hard to reach parents, the ones that didn't often come into parents' evenings, were more receptive to using apps um, as a way of engaging and then they were saying, well, how do we now capture what's happening? You know, can the parents take photographs or video of what our, the children are doing when they're project based working at home and send them back so we can still continue to track? Um, and then the bit that really, for me, I think I thought was a huge plus, you know, and there aren't many pluses in, on this journey, was about how actually, particularly at primaries, they used lots of different tools to deliver activities and resources from social media, uh, to the school website, to various different assessment and delivery tools. But actually, it fostered a lot more parental and, and even more so community engagement because it was more public what the school was trying to do, the activities that were going on, celebrating success in some cases was in a much more public space. 
So I think that comes back to my very, very first point about adaptability of teachers, you know. I do, and I, and I think one of the interesting things moving forward will be how schools take this on board because like you said to begin with schools did an amazing job of of finding the tools which were there either kind of in 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 their ecosystem already or tools which they could feel like they could trust to, to get something out in that kind of it way but now of course we're, we're in this sort of strange place of we're back at school because we're, we're recording this in october just before half term but it's not inconceivable that in the next few months there'll be some kind of lockdown in schools maybe off for an amount of time um and even if they're not some of the the positives that you've mentioned already could actually be implemented to actually support the learning in that blended kind of way so i i guess what i'm asking is 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 are there certain i guess maybe not tools but certain parts of of the um the it world which you think can be really harnessed in a way that can support that i think i think there are lots of angles i mean i i use some of the examples you know i, I always start with the concept and, and this comes back to um an area that i've worked very heavily in uh, over the last few years which is about broader digital strategy uh, and sometimes when you're trying to find in a very busy schedule and time in schools a reason for lots of different stakeholders and, and one of the keys is to get all the stakeholders involved to put together a digital strategy. One of the biggest challenges is finding uh, kind of an impetus and that momentum. And of course, COVID in many regards has created that momentum. And the momentum started with saying, actually, before you look forwards, you have to look backwards. How are we using technology already and how effectively is it being used? Because if we can identify areas that are more effective than others, then we may as well build on those areas as a starting point. And that's the start of a conversation point about the things that we can take forward, better use of what we've already got. And that's started probably the most important conversation of all, which is recognising that one of the things most sorely lacking, other than capital funding, was CPD, or the perception of what's sufficient CPD. And two or three hours on an inset day once a year is not going to get all teachers on that curve from survival mode with IT, as Sylvia Duckworth would show in her models, through to that kind of mastery and, and innovation. And so on, on that level, I think absolutely, we start with saying there's a catalyst here to use the technology we've already got more effectively. And then the second part is saying, okay, so what about what we've been doing online or we've had to do um, over the summer in varying degrees? What if COVID disappears and do we all go back to the way it was before or are there the lessons we can do? So absolutely, parental engagement has got to be a significant one where we can build on. But if we think about the really important aspects, how often are schools delivering lessons and actually keeping exemplars recorded? That means that students who are off sick can, can utilise that or other schools within the MAC can share that those those recordings as part of their lesson planning uh, and utilize them year on year. Where are the time savings? What about the tools we've been using, perhaps more at an older age group, where with tools like Teams and with, with Google, we've been handing out tests and project work with alongside rubrics and auto-marking them. What about the time savings that we could deliver for an already hectic teacher lifestyle? What happens on a snow day? Do we always just close the school or could we actually have some kind of online interaction with our, our young people that sets them some project work for the day? 
you know, I would hope at primary, a large part of the day, would be going outside and enjoying the snow. But there's still an opportunity for learning. Uh, at secondary, a uh, big conversation we had was put, put COVID to one side. Every Easter, half of our teachers are in over the holidays delivering revision classes. Why aren't they at home delivering them online? Because we never get more than half the class turn up for them. But if they could do them online and record them, they'd be there and accessible to the rest of the cohort whenever they wanted to access them through the holidays. And these are all marginal gains. They're all small things. They're not going to change the world as we think of. But they're absolutely a catalyst to thinking about how we work more effectively. And I think another really good example is over the last few years, because of the pressures on school finances, which we don't need to go into today, I guess, in any detail, schools have often looked for the cheapest approach to IT delivery. What's what's the you know the least we can spend that will meet our needs in the classroom? And what often has happened has meant that they've replaced the dedicated laptop per teacher with a device front of class that powers the interactive whiteboard. Uh, and that's meant if the teacher's off and cover comes in, then there's kit in the classroom to continue teaching for the day. Suddenly when COVID came around and teachers were at home, we would have suddenly flipped to this dependency of, well, it relied on the technology of the teacher personally. What did they have at home that would allow them to continue to deliver? And so examples like that have absolutely in many of the maps that I'm working with or I've, I've been supporting on internet have paused and said, you know what, we need to we need to rethink this. We don't we not only need to rethink in terms of what devices we're giving our staff, because actually we're all human. If I walked into a classroom with my own device, with all my resources loaded up on it, my confidence level would already be significantly higher than walking in with a USB stick and hoping everything's going to work for me. But the flip side is, what are we doing in terms of devices to flatten that digital divide? That, that part of the conversation we said earlier about not all of our young people can access technology at the same time. So part of that is thinking about which devices, if we needed to, could we send out to children at home that we could manage most effectively remotely? So thinking about things like Chromebooks as well as the you know, typical iPads and so on. Uh, how do we need to reshape our policy in terms of safeguarding? So keeping those devices safe and controlling what they can be used for is another part of it. And also looking down to things like connectivity, having a bank of 4G dongles that can be used for those children that um, can't access Wi-Fi and, and online connectivity. And we saw very soon into COVID for some of our most um, deprived families that the first thing that went when the job went was the data plan on the mobile phone and other things. And suddenly that our learners weren't able to access in different ways. So this is this element where actually, like most things, you, you've got to get the foundations in place. And, it, and if you've got the right view of what do we want to achieve? What's the best technology that will allow us to achieve that? And then how are we going to measure whether this has an impact? You start on a good footing. And then you move on to the second layer, which is that reflective look backwards before you move forward. Well, which things have worked well for us during the last the, 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 the last few months? What could we build on? Let's not try and move to the next level, the next level, the next level over the next few months in fear of what the next in Ofsted inspection framework might have included in it. But actually, let's build out and spend our time on CPD and embedding those core platforms whether that's teams so that all of our staff have got a way of communicating with each other and with leadership and sharing resources, uh, 
and they can utilize that tool with the appropriate training to communicate with parents or whether it's looking and revisiting what our primary assessment tools are and making sure they flex from in school to out of school those are the kind of key things that i think we're like all these things with confidence people will take risks you know if you, if you have a a sense that we're all in it together and we've got these core bits of tools that we're going to be using within school and they're working well then that confidence you know good leadership should encourage middle leaders teachers who are you know willing to try things to try new stuff and not be not be scared if they don't work and i think that's one of the aspects when when all the chips are down you haven't got the time or the luxury to to throw all the different solutions up in the air and hope a few stick but actually now for the first time we've got a bit of experience we've got a bit of confidence under our belts we know either from ourselves or from peers whether it's from our twitter plns whether it's from going and visiting other edtech innovator schools across the country whatever it might be there's plenty of resource out there about what has worked well and what hasn't worked well there's now a much greater set of resources about experiences from the classroom or from the school in terms of models to follow whether it's just how to structure an online lesson for some it was the starting point about you know if you're in front of a webcam here's your do's and don'ts through to here's some things that are really useful in terms of making sure there's that continuity but even then broken down by well for SEND children maybe you need to focus and think about these for some of your hard to reach learners it's this because you know the truth is the best tools in the world but if the child's not sitting in front of the laptop at home or hasn't opened the lid then all bets are off so you've got to still think about the traditional tools and resources and ways that you've got to get parents on board and you've got to think of things that are going to engage and get young people interested in continuing to learn and do you think there's a two-way street here in terms of the the edtech world and the software companies um, and education working together a little bit hand in hand because i guess the the, the best way or maybe the easiest way or or the ways to take a, a sort of a, a further step in that direction is to actually have obviously we can't be standard because everything's different and we've got you know many many schools across the country and beyond actually trying to do this but an idea of like you said best practice but even those um, people in leadership positions wanting to do that it's kind of where do you look for that best practice so is there anywhere you can suggest that people go and actually try and get that information so that they've got that kind of confidence to even get the ball rolling yeah i think i mean one thing i always say is if you try and standardize on one thing what you lose is innovation and you that's something that i think is absolutely the opposite of what we need in the in the, in the uk education space because i think embracing technology and innovation has been quite lacking the last 10 or 15 years there hasn't been that central guidance uh, i mean like all things i mean i i always start with um you know there's there's organizations that you can go to online things like the bet show and regional shows are always a great way of going and seeing uh, products but also there's tons of cpd focusing now of course this year you won't be visiting the bet show unfortunately uh, although there are, of course there are academy shows and all other events all brands are equal um but i think that the first thing i i always advocate is you know anybody who says this solution will fix your world and guarantee you three points increase in progress across all your children um you need to be highly dubious because EdTech isn't the panacea to everything. It, it sits there, much like TPAC, it sits there to underpin good teaching and pedagogy and content knowledge as that kind of facilitator. Uh, 
I would absolutely say buy product based on recommendation. Um, any good product should be something that you can go out and try for free without committing any cost. And any successful product, depending on its nature, will either have really good case studies and reference sites of peers that you can go and ask or go visit and see how they're doing it. Or if they're curriculum focused, you would hope there'd be some research behind it, some research base or evidence about how it's benefited and impacted. Um, I think that's a really good starter. The EdTech Innovator Schools in, in recent months are a good way of looking and seeing how schools have rapidly flexed to deliver online learning. Um, the truth is, you know, if, if you're looking for a particular tool, whether it's an assessment tool or a communication tool or a phonics tool, there, there's a finite pool. And it's firstly, you know, it comes back to my little mantra about digital strategy. You need to start by deciding what it is you want to achieve. You know, and I always believe that conversation starts with teachers and students in the classroom. What are we trying to achieve? Where are the areas that we think we can develop, whether that is about making it more innovative, more engaging, broaden the way that we deliver teaching and learning? And then you have to align that with your senior leadership team in terms of your school development plan. You want to make sure that your IT managers involved so that you don't embrace a new technology, whether it's software or hardware, where your existing infrastructure isn't up for it. You want to make sure that there's no data protection issues because it's a cloud-based solution that involves uploading way too much information about your young people into an insecure site. You need to make sure your um, DSLs involved to make sure that any tool you're using has got the, the appropriate safeguarding considerations along, alongside it. Um, and, and ironically, counter to the normal conversation in many schools, which is finance starts it with the business manager or finance director saying, you've got 15 grand in your budget this year, what do you want? Whilst, of course, finance will absolutely dictate the speed of which you can deliver your strategy, the starting point shouldn't be 15 grand, where should we spend it? It needs to be what's our ultimate aspiration and, and destination. And then the annual budget will dictate how many hops it's going to take us to get that way. You know, and that's back to the, the anecdotal conversations of, you know, schools buying loads of tablets, but not having enough money to expand the Wi-Fi to get the most out of it. Um, there's been so many projects. I mean, the U.S. has seen some, some huge ones that are well, well recorded uh, in Los Angeles Independent School District. They spent millions on iPads, but the project was a complete failure because they didn't really have a plan as to how they were going to be used and, and what their purpose was. It was a case of give a child an iPad and, and magic will happen. Well, it takes a bit more than that. Um, so, again, I think it's about bringing all those factors together of what are we trying to achieve first and then and then build on it. Um, and, you know, maybe I'm slightly biased because it's, it's an area that I spend a lot of time getting involved in different activities and events through it. But but Twitter is a fantastic PLN for educators to get peer advice. You've only got to put a shout out for I'm looking for a solution that does X, any recommendations. And you'll have 10, 20 or 200 different recommendations coming back your way within 24 hours. Um, and rightly so, in education, it should be on recommendation. Nobody wants to be the first to try something. Um, but coming full circle, I know I'm kind of covering this topic in a bit of detail. You also talked about that collaboration between technology companies and education. And there are increasingly more and more vendors who are co-producing, so developing products with educators rather than just selling to so the conversation starts with what's the problem? How are you trying to address it? Let's work together to come up with a solution that works for you. 
And I think these things are really important. And, I, and I'm really glad you brought up the 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 Twitter and the recommendation because I th- I think actually the like I say bet this year isn't going to be somewhere you can go and wander around. But I think you get a sense of not only the practicalities of the tools that you're buying but i think you know you get the personality of the company and the way they work in the fact that you may well need support and therefore getting a feel for for what it is that you're after once you have an idea of where you're heading but who you want to be working with and i think that sort of hand-in-hand guidance i think is really key and whether that comes from face-to-face contact or whether it comes from like you say online support or recommendations i think all of those things can can really just sort of give you that kind of gut feeling that you know is where you want to be heading spot on mark absolutely and it is about relationship based but you know aren't most things you know, I, I, I tend to avoid using the B word business because we don't like rightly so think of education as a business. But when we're engaging in terms of the, the purchasing of products and, and how we're, we're going to embed them and we're doing so with an intention that they'll have longevity and value to a trust or to a, a, you know, an individual school, um, we do have to take a few of those business expectations, which is we're going to expect service and support. And it isn't just about the shiny feature list on the back of the packet there has to be more to it than that uh, and and the best the best products are the ones that have you know a good ecosystem of supporters schools that use the products because actually the reality is uh, you know and i hold my hand up absolutely within the the, the products that um, that i've developed over the years you know most of the really strong ideas in terms of direction of evolution of a product come back from your customer base. They're the ones on the ground using it and will be saying, this is fantastic, but it'd be great if, could you just do this? Or if I could just reduce one click every time I did this, that would save me 20 minutes a day. And that kind of relationship and dynamic, that open ear, is key to products evolving and still being fit for purpose five, 10, 15 years later. Yeah, and I think that's it, isn't it? In the fact that we know that life can change very fast, and and having a piece of hardware that works now is only got a certain amount of shelf life, and the same with software. And what you want is those relationships, so that as you move as a teacher, as a school, as as a, as a trust, however it happens to be that you're involved, you know that you're on a journey together, rather than like you said, here's the the fifteen thousand pounds. What can we do with it? And then we'll worry about the next fifteen thousand pounds a few years down the line. And I think when you're all on that kind of that path together, and you're planning in that direction, then like you say, the CPD and the support and the actual bringing everybody together on that same plan really in terms of where you want to take the school and how you want to deliver all these resources then becomes a much more kind of collegiate kind of way absolutely and you know let's be honest there's some great products coming out now products services solutions all different types that are coming from teachers teachers who have got ideas and are creating them and wanting to share them with their peers around the country or teachers that are looking to take a step either part-time or full-time away from teaching uh, and use their experience to share tools and solutions. And, and I think, again, that collegiate approach is where we we nurture. You know, the UK, I believe, has a really strong edtech community. It hasn't necessarily had that central coordination about how do we get the most out of this community. Uh, and so what, what happens is, you know, teachers being tenacious and creative as they are, you know, they, they reach out and find ways to engage with businesses direct and, and nurture those kind of relationships. Well, I really hope that we've we've given everyone a chance to, 
I, I guess, assess their thinking to begin with in terms of, of, like I said, them looking back and seeing where we've been, where we are now, and how we want to use all this experience in terms of where we go forward. And at the heart of it, we want to give our children the best education they can in whatever situation they are. And I think that idea of the individualised um, understanding of who we have within our school community, both from a staff point of view and a student point of view, kind of always gives us that kind of guiding light. And so if we keep that in mind, I think all those questions that we've been asking, the answers come, come in, in those right directions. And hopefully we've given a few solutions about how you take the next step. Absolutely. And one rule to remember, less is more. What a perfect way to finish. Al, thank you so much for your wisdom and uh, and your understanding and, and really giving some great value for all of us who've been listening. My pleasure. Thank you.